Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are in this study in James. It's actually week three, and um, it's all about practical faith, what faith looks like when you put it into practice. And I began a couple weeks ago kind of posing this question, how can it be that two people can affirm the same set of beliefs Um, can sing the same songs like we did, the Apostles' Creed, um, can say, yeah, we all uh, agree on the same beliefs, and yet their lives are lived so differently that one person can say, I'm a Christ follower, and I believe all of these things, and their life is marked by generosity and compassion and caring and and, and just being involved. And, and, And another person can have that same set of beliefs and yet be the most obnoxious, miserable person to be around. How can that be? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower. And the reason you're not a Christ follower is you see some of that in some people. and You go, why would I want to be a part of that? I don't want to be like that guy. Well, that's what the book of James is really all about. And in fact, um, we talked about this in week one, that there is, there's kind of three different types of belief or three different types of convictions. There's public convictions. And those are the things that I say I believe. I may or may not believe them, but I want everybody to think that I believe those things. And so I say them, okay? Those are public convictions. Then there are what are called private convictions. Private convictions are the things that I sincerely, truly think I believe. But if you looked at my life, that's not how I live it. Okay, And then there is what are called core convictions. And your core convictions, those are the things you really believe. Because you will never violate your core convictions. They're just kind of a, 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 this is how you look at life kind of thing. And so you find out what you really believe and what you truly believe, your core convictions, by looking at how you behave and how you act in your life. And what James's whole letter is about is about helping us discover and make what we say we believe and what we think we believe become what we truly believe. And the way that we do that is we start acting it out and living it out in our daily lives. And so that's what this whole book is all about. And, and that's what we've been going through in the last couple of weeks. And what we're going to do today is look at one, um, one of those beliefs, one of those things that was actually central to Jesus' message, message on, on this earth. In fact, he was asked at one point in his ministry, what is the greatest commandment? And his answer was, he actually took two commandments, put them together, and called them one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that second part is the one that we're going to look at because that's what James talks about in chapter two. So we're going to start today. I'm going to kind of pull that one verse out and I'd like you to, we're going to put it up on the screen. It's James 2, 8. And I'd like you to read this out loud with me. All right. Are you ready? James 2, 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now we would all agree with that. We would all say, I believe that, in theory. (laughs) But what does that look like in my everyday life? Jesus talked about it. James talks about it. And and he does it from perspective that you may not have thought about. He talks about it in terms that that maybe you have not thought, well, that's that's not that big a deal. And James is going to say, no, it's a big deal because it's a revealer of your heart. And so we're going to turn to James chapter 2, begin reading in verse 1. If you want to follow along, bring, get out your Bibles or your smartphones or tablets, whatever you've got. Um, James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what James writes. He says, My brothers and sisters, 
Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, James picks what you might think is kind of an odd example But what he's saying is, this is something you may not have thought about as being all that big a deal, but it really is, because it reveals your heart. It reveals your core convictions, and that's why you need to understand it. That when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't just making a suggestion. He was saying, this is how life works, and if you believe that, it's got to affect every aspect of your life, both in your individual life and in your church life as a church community. And so today we're going to kind of take that apart a little bit. And I want to talk about this whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, specifically with this this idea of favoritism or partiality, it's sometimes called, or, or discrimination, whatever you might want to call it. We're not going to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves unless we make some changes. And I want to give you a couple of changes that I think are absolutely necessary for us worldwide as a church and for us as individuals. And it starts with this. If we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, we need to work at inclusion instead of exclusion. James bases this whole argument at the very first verse, and he's kind of setting them up. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now what he's doing is he's reminding them, okay, the whole reason that you can call yourself a follower, the whole reason that you can call yourself right with God is not because of what you did. It's about what Christ has done for you. This is all based on God's grace. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. In other words, what he's saying is what God did, what Christ did on the cross was to include you. That the gospel is all about inclusion. Grace is all about inclusion. Why would you choose to exclude some people from that. And when you show favoritism, that's what you're doing. That's divisive. That's exclusive. You are pushing people away when God is all about bringing them in. And why would you make, why would you make a judgment about somebody or show partiality or favoritism to somebody based on something that God doesn't care about one bit? 
New, the New Living Translation puts it this way. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now, I think one of the reasons Jesus gave us communion was it's a constant reminder. You didn't do this. You didn't earn this. You don't deserve this. It's what God has done for you. And that has got to be at the forefront of your mind in every aspect of your life and in your relationships and how you carry, carry on and, and work with other people. It's all got to be based on his grace. And when you make judgments and when you show partiality or when you, when you show favoritism, what you are doing is you are making a choice. And you are choosing some people over other people. And it's based on something so superficial as your personal preference or your prejudices or maybe potential benefit to you. You see a rich person come in and you say, oh man, here's a guy that can give a lot. Here's a guy that can get me you know, front row tickets to the Warriors game. You know, here's a guy that I got to get to know. When you do that, you are automatically making a choice to favor some people over others. And you have missed the whole point. Why would you place value on someone based on something that God doesn't value at all? Now, here's the thing. There is something in every one of us, in our fallen human nations, nature, that we want to be a part of the in crowd. See, and, and, and to be a part of the in crowd, that automatically means there have to be some people who are outside the in crowd. We like being exclusive. There is something in our fallen human nature that makes us feel just a little bit more superior if we're a part of the in crowd. And, and credit card companies have figured this out. They figured this out long ago. Because now you don't just get a credit card. Now, if you're really good, you get a gold card. And, and now, of course, then gold, was the, that was the standard. But now, but now they had to come up with something better. So beyond the gold card is the platinum card. And now, because that's kind of gotten passe, now you got to have the titanium card. And on and on and on it goes. And all that that means is you've just spent a lot more money. You're not all that special. Well, you are to them because you spent their card. But, but really, you're just an average person. We're just giving you this card because it makes you feel better about yourself. I told you a couple weeks ago about the opportunity. I got upgraded to first class. Didn't pay any more for the tickets. Someone worked on my behalf, got me an upgrade in first class. And I got to tell you, there was something about sitting in first class that makes you feel kind of special. I mean, I, I could get used to something like that. They get real food, not peanuts. They use real silverware up there. If you ever wonder what goes on behind that curtain, okay? It's special treatment, and it's pretty cool to get special treatment. There is something in every one of us that wants to be treated special. We want to be exclusive. But the minute that you want to be exclusive, you start excluding other people. And James says, that's wrong. In fact, it's not just wrong. It's worse than that. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then what, what it's doing is it's revealing what's going on inside your heart. See, yeah, you're hurting other people, but it's really doing, it's hurting you. You've made yourself a judge and your motives are all out of whack. Now, we work really hard around here trying to make first-time visitors feel welcome. To make people who are new to the faith feel welcome and apart and accepted. We work really, really hard on that. We've got a team of volunteers who serve on our ushers and our greeters team and, and, and man the, uh, the help desk and, and man the um, new friends table and all those other things. And we, and we give gifts. We want people to feel like, 
you know, we want to connect with you. We want, we want you to feel welcome here. And we work really, really, really hard on that. And, and, and we do a pretty good job at it. But, but James is not talking about usher and greeter training. He's talking about something much deeper. He's talking about something that goes to the heart. And we do a pretty good job of, of connecting people and trying our best to connect people and make them feel welcome and help them get connected into the church and all of that kind of thing. But the thing that, that bothers me sometimes is the people that don't connect. And I make, it makes me kind of wonder sometimes how welcome and accepted that they feel here. You see, we all have this desire to belong. And it has to be beyond our usher and greeter training. It's got to be in our DNA as a church that everybody is welcome here. No matter what, just the way that you are. Because that's what Jesus did. See, and we're to be the extension of his ministry. So if we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, we've got to learn how to include people and not exclude people. I love Groucho Marx once said, I would never want to be a part of a club that would lower, have such low standards as to accept me as a member. <laughs> you know, that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb for all of us. That we are all here by God's grace. And God's grace is all about inclusion, not excluding. If we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, second thing is I think we're going to have to learn to initiate conversations instead of categorizing people. They were really good at categorizing. What we need, I think, is more conversation. And this really came home to me. Um, last week, our pastoral staff, all of us, we went down to Southern California to a conference down there. It was called Catalyst West. Um, and it's a conference for, um, it's a leadership conference primarily geared toward those who are serving in, in Christian ministry, whether it's pastoral ministry or whatever it might be. And, and some great speakers. Um, and and one, of the, one of the things that was, it was actually not in the original program. It was one of these kind of add-on sessions they kind of did just as an opening part. Um, they did an interview, and, and a conversation is really what it was. It was explaining a conversation that had the, the host of Catalyst, the guy that was kind of um, hosting the whole thing, is a white guy, and he has a very good friend. His friend's name is Jason Emmanuel um, Petty, which um, you may know his stage name is Propaganda. Um, he's, he's a spoken word artist. Um, we've used his videos on a couple of occasions here and used them. Um, just an incredible, man, incredible way with words. Um, and he's a black man. And, and these two guys are friends. And he said, we had this conversation about a month ago when, when all of this, um, the Ferguson shooting and all that other stuff and all the racial tension and strife that's, that stirred all up from all of that. And he says, you know, we sat down and we had a conversation because he said, you know, as a white guy, I don't get that. I don't understand, you know, and, and people were saying things like, well, wait till all the facts come out. Wait till all the information comes out. And he says, I don't get that. I don't get that response in the, in the black community. And, and so he's asking his friend, uh, propaganda, and propaganda says, he says, you know, you say things like, wait till the facts come out. But what facts are we talking about? There are facts that have to do directly with that shooting. But there's all kinds of other facts and information behind all of that. Where people in the black community are pulled over simply by, for driving while black. That there is a history behind all of that. And this is just one incident, but it's part of a bigger, bigger picture. And he said, you know, I would never get that. And they, they talked about that conversation. He said, because they were friends, they could take the risk of saying something stupid or saying the wrong things in order to have better understanding. And as they talked about that, I thought to myself, you know, we need more conversations. Because we tend to categorize people. 
and put them in certain categories, in certain pigeonholes. And here's the thing with categories. You can't love a category. You don't have to love a category. But you are called to love people. We are called to love neighbors. And when Jesus was questioned on that, he was pretty clear. It's just about everybody. (laughs) In fact, it is everybody. Now, maybe you don't have a problem with with certain categories, but I, I put together a list today of just some categories, and maybe some of these resonate with you. There are some people that resonate that, that, that resent rich people, those lousy one percenters. They're greedy and they're hoarding and they're, they're manipulating all the, the stock markets and all that stuff, those, those greedy one percenters. And there are some people on the opposite said they're resentful of poor people, those lazy welfare cheats. Why don't they get a job and earn a living like the rest of us? Some people who classify and categorize people by their political views. All those Republicans are heartless and uncaring. And of course, the Republicans complain about those bleeding heart liberal Democrats. Sometimes it's ethnicity. Some people, some of us don't like black people. Some of us don't like white people or Asians or Hispanics. Of course, everybody loves Danes. How, how could you not? You know, we're just fun people, you know. Union people don't trust people in management. Management don't like those union rabble-rousers. Some of us have an attitude towards working moms. Why don't you care about your kids and be there for them? While others have just the opposite. They have an attitude towards stay-at-home mothers. Some of us have an unfavorable opinion of people who homeschool. Others have an unfavorable opinion of those who would put their kids in public school. Those who would have them get inoculated and those who don't. (laughs) We formulate all these opinions. Some people don't like divorced people, single parents, fat people, skinny people, gay people. The list could go on and on and on. And maybe that touched a nerve with any of you. Maybe none of those did. But there's probably one category of people or maybe maybe a second or third category of people that when you think about that group of people, there's something inside of you that just goes, I just have a real hard time with those people. You ought to wonder what they think about you. See, when we categorize people, what we are doing is we are limiting our ability to love them because you can't love a category. And Paul, James says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. In fact, he uses a very, very strong word there. Some of your translations say you despise the poor or you rejected or you insulted or you've shown contempt to the poor. That's what happens when you categorize. And it started way back in middle school. Way back in middle school, when you had the jocks and the rah-rahs and the, you know, the, the nerds and the whatever, you know, just on and on and on, the wannabes. And then in high school, it just the list get bigger. And, and you got through all of that through high school, and then you went into adulthood, and you still have all those same things. You just don't say them out loud anymore. But if there's a group of people or a category of people that just kind of makes you inside, James says, watch out. Watch out. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. You have broken the greatest commandment. Ah, it's just, you know, it's personal preference. 
Now you've broken the greatest commandment. You're a lawbreaker. Well, I thought, I thought, I thought lawbreaking, like things like murder and adultery, that's lawbreaking. Yeah, those are in there too. But this one that you haven't thought about, that's the greatest commandment. See, that's why conversations are so important. Because in conversations, you interact with a person. Now, I realize and I understand you can't have meaningful conversations with everybody you come across in your life. But I think a, good, a few really choice, meaningful conversations could go a long way to breaking down a lot of the barriers that we've put up. And by the way, conversation is more about listening than talking. That, that's what James said in the previous chapter. You ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Or as my mom used to say, the good Lord gave you two ears and one mouth and that ought to tell you something. We need more conversations and a lot less categorizing. And the last one, I think, if we're going to love our neighbor, we're going to need to practice mercy instead of pronouncing judgment. James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. See, James keeps going back to it. It's grace and it's mercy. It's mercy and it's grace. That God in his grace has given you this gift of eternal life that you didn't deserve and you couldn't possibly earn. And in his mercy, he has chosen to absorb the pain of your rebellion and your sin. And he took it upon himself. And you do not have to bear the pain of that because in his mercy, he did it for you. It is grace and it is mercy. It is mercy and it is grace. That is our only hope. And it ought to be our only message. And I am afraid that the church in North America has spent too much time judging our culture. And that is not our job. That's God's job. We have become too intent on judging our culture. And by the way, we are pretty selective in the sins that we want to stand up against. And there's a whole lot of sins that we don't address at all. That might hit close to home. Anne Lamont put it this way. You can safely assume you've created a God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Yeah. Yeah. See, when you judge, you are drawing a conclusion. There's a couple of problems with that. A, you don't know all the evidence. (laughs) You don't know all the information. You don't know that person's experiences. You don't know where they've been. You don't know where they're at. You don't know what brought it to that. You don't know anything about them, but you made a judgment. And the second thing, maybe that's worse than that, is that you have drawn a conclusion about someone whose story is still being written. See, that's why only God can be the judge. And he will judge at the conclusion. Our job is not to judge. Our job, he says, is to show mercy. That is our job. It is not our job to judge. That is God's job. And it is not our job to judge those outside the faith even. Paul makes that really, really clear. It is our job to show mercy. And we have got to figure this out, folks. 
We have got to figure this out. Because we live in a culture, and I understand it. There, I, believe me, I believe there is right and there is wrong. I believe that there is very clear in Scripture sin, and sin needs to be repented of. I believe all of that. Grace is not a, hey, it's a free-for-all, do whatever you want because God is love, okay? I understand there is more to it than that. There is right and there is wrong. But we have got to find a way to be able to demonstrate mercy and love to people and let God do the changing. We've got to figure this out. And i got to tell you, it is not easy. There is no set pattern to this. I think it starts with conversations. I think it looks like trying to be inclusive as much as we can. But we have got to figure this out. Because this is what is at stake. Eternity. Someone's eternity is at stake. And our job is to speak and act as those who will be judged by this one law, the royal law, the law that gives freedom. Love your neighbor as yourself. It takes a lot of thought. It will take a lot of wisdom, understanding, and compassion. I haven't figured it out. I don't know how to do that. How do you stand up for what is right and declare what is wrong to be wrong and yet still be welcoming and loving and accepting gracious and merciful I haven't figured it all out but I think we have to I think one of the greatest challenges facing the church today is going to be solving this showing love and compassion while being able to say this is right and this is wrong mentioned the conference we were at one of the speakers, actually one of the keynote speakers, um, was Andy Stanley. And he spoke actually both mornings, the first morning and the second morning. And, um, and in both, at the end of both those, he left us with a challenge, um, with two questions. And he said, when, if you, when you get to the answer of those two questions, you will find what God has for you to do with your life, why he has you here. And the first one question was, who are you? Who are you? With your gifts, with your talents, with your abilities, with you, in your neighborhood, in your job, wherever you are, who are you? And then the second question is, what breaks your heart? Because when you discover who you are and what breaks your heart, at the juncture of those two is what God wants you to do with the rest of your life. And, and it just, it struck me and it hit me in such a way. I actually, I had to leave that session. I had to get my journal and just go out and just figure this out. Because there's a lot of things. I stirred up all kinds of thoughts in me. And, and, and it came down to this. And I wrote this down. And this isn't perfect. But you know what breaks my heart? What truly breaks my heart is when we, the church, erect artificial barriers, either intentionally or unintentionally. But we erect artificial barriers that keep people from discovering the love and grace of God. That breaks my heart. Breaks my heart when the church who has been entrusted with this incredible life-transforming message of grace would get in the way of somebody's eternity because we've erected some artificial barriers it's why 
we say around here, we are trying to change the way people view the church. That we say all the time around here that we're all people in process and we all have our struggles and we all are dealing with our own sins and we're all in this together, but we're working together and helping each other along the way. And that we want to be a community that is grace-filled where people can come just the way they are and discover there is a God who loves them and accepts them just the way that they are. So much so. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him. Would have everlasting life. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon. For another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship. Located in Venetia, California.